so we continue our sermon series on King David, and um, I know that evidently, you know, I share with you all, I was a little preoccupied with the little fella, his name was, May, his name was Mason, so our, um, Ellen preached last week, and she, I believe she preached on King David, so guess what, you're going to get King David number two this week, because I didn't, I've already written this sermon, and I do, I'm really looking forward to be able to preach this sermon, so we're going to have the second part of this, and so a little different perspective on King David and uh, David and Goliath's story today. So we reminded that David is a, a poet, he's a, a prophet, he's a, he's a king, uh, he's a, he was a shepherd, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, um, and uh, he's a warrior, as um, Pastor Alan reminded us last week. So um, I want to pick up the story, and um, I'm going to read something a little different from what Alan shared with us last week, so um, let me pick up the story. I love this from 1 Samuel, the uh, 17th chapter, hear these words. So when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for them. And David said to Saul, let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, well, you're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you're just a boy. And he has been a warrior from his, his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came, he took the lamb um, from the flock. And I, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb for, from its mouth, and it turned against me. And I, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. And your servant has killed both the lions and the bears, and the, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defiled the armies of the living God. Then David said, Lord, who has saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, will save me from the hand of the Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So I, I, I knew I'd be preaching on David and Goliath today, and I'm, I'm really excited about preaching the sermon today. Lakeda wrote a book about this about, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I read it. Um, it's called Facing Your Giants. I wrote a whole book about it. And, and one of the quotes, actually, there's a couple I want to pick for us today. And, and one of my favorite quotes in the opening chapter. And so here, can you put this up on the screen? Focus on giants, you stumble, but focus on God, your giants tumble. I like that. Can you say it with me? Focus on giants, you stumble, but focus on God, your giants tumble. I just love that. It's just so simple, but it's great theology, isn't it? So I was thinking about, I made, my, I made a couple of lists we, uh, this week about like facing your fears and about some of your giants. So when I was a kid growing up, I, I, I feared just about everything. I was a true scaredy cat. I, I, I feared spelling tests because I was not very good at spelling. I always think, I just thank God for the person who created spell check on my Google. You know, I, I'm like, I just really grateful for that person. I don't know who it is out there, but I am really grateful for that. Um, I, I was afraid of striking out. I was afraid of girls. I was... I was afraid of the principal and that big wooden paddle back then. I was, uh, I was afraid of, um, you know, a lot of things. Um, I was afraid of getting a, a stocking full of coal at Christmas. I remember. And then I also remember, and I put this in here, my, my list. I was afraid that that was going to go straight to hell. And that's true. 
um, when I was a kid growing up, I always wanted to be, you know, just right. I wanted to do everything right. I wanted to be, you know, I didn't want to do something that was wrong. And I had this kind of sense of expectation in my life that if I, you know, I did something wrong, then, then God was going to, you know, crush me. And there was this whole wrath of God thing. And so I kind of grew up with that in my mind. And of course, I hadn't got to the part about grace yet. So I, I struggled with that about um, fear of going to hell. I don't know if you did that when you were a kid growing up. I, I love this. Um, I was listening to a, a professor a couple of weeks ago. I uh, was with Bishop Berlin, and he invited this uh, Paul Chilcote, I think is his name, and he was an expert on Wesleyan theology. And I never heard him speak, but he was, a really, he was just amazing. And he told this story about John Wesley, and I, I never heard this story. And he said, once upon a time, John Wesley, you know, he's the founder of the Methodist Church, and um, he, um, uh, or evidently, he had sent out, obviously, you know, he, uh, he's the, um, the pioneer in the beginning of the, of the United Methodist Church. It was, um, he never was actually truly a Methodist. He was always continued to be an Anglican priest, but he actually started the Methodist Church. And so he um, and commissioned all these and ordained these pastors that went out into all of England. And, and so um, one day he decided that he was going to go out and listen to what his preachers are preaching. And so he kind of made the circuit around. I guess maybe it took him two or three weeks to be able to go to all these different churches and just listen to the, what the preachers were preaching. And so then he came back, and evidently he made an assessment. And this is, was his assessment, and evidently he put the word back out to his pastors, and this is what he had to say. Quit, quit preaching the wrath of God and start preaching the love of God. Now, that's pretty powerful. Fears. I, I looked up this week about, you know, different people and, and your giants. And we all have giants in life, right? And so, um, so I thought this was interesting, people's giants or fears. Number one, uh, well, I'm, I'm going to give you number one here in a minute, but here are top ten. Dentist, dogs, flying, thunder and lightning, the dark, heights, elevators, creepy crawly things, snakes, and number one, Public speaking. <laughs> oh, I can relate to that, right? So we all have our own giants. A couple of weeks ago, I was um, watching you know, the U.S. Open uh, tennis tournament. And so uh, Coco Goff um, actually ended up, here's, a, here's actually a picture of Poco, Coco Goff. And this is after she won the U.S. Open. Now, what was really a big deal about that, I thought that was a really profound picture. So um, I listened a little bit about her story. So I think she came story on the scene about like the age of 16. She just turned 19. And um, she's one of the greatest tennis players, women tennis players in the world now. And so, um, so she's kind of made her way along and she um, was doing really good. And then she kind of went down a dip and then she started doing well again over the last year. And so she actually made it to the, I think it was the final of the French Open about maybe a year ago. And so the night before, evidently she was a nervous wreck. And um, she couldn't sleep the night before. She was anxious because she was facing her giant. I mean, this is the match of her life. She finally got to a, a major championship. And so um, she played and she didn't win. She, um, she didn't do too well. And so she lost. And it's, a, it's a, a great accomplishment to get to a final. But, you know, to win one is another big deal. And so this last, a couple weeks ago, evidently the night before, um, she uh, decided she was going to do something different. So she called her boyfriend, evidently, and maybe, I guess, in the midst of the conversation, her boyfriend just kind of calmed her down and got her focused, and I think they talked for about an hour or so. And then she said, 
she went to bed and went to sleep. And so the next day, she got up and she won the U.S. Open. I thought it was pretty interesting. Some of the people who were interviewing Coco, they said, well, what are you going to do with your $3 million? That's a pretty good weekend, isn't it? And, you went, what? I mean, she, and she's 19. So she what are you going to do with your $3 million? She, she, are you going to pay off some student debt? She says, I have no student debt. And she said, well, and then she says, well you know, what else can you spend your money? She says, well, and I live at home. I said, well, I'm thinking, you know, maybe she at least pay rent now. You know? So anyway. <laughs> so I thought it was really interesting after, and i never seen this, by the way. I love the idea that she conquered her giant. After she won the U.S. Open, evidently the first thing she did is she went and she knelt down by her chair. So here's the picture. Show the picture. If you can show that picture again. And so I thought was really powerful about when she knelt down at the chair. Someone, when the US, ESPN commentators were saying, oh, well, she's just taking kind of a private moment. And evidently, Tony Dungy, who's a very devout um, uh, Christian, he got wind of it and said, uh, maybe in his commentary about experiencing that, maybe, he said, you know, she's not having a private moment. She's praying. Let's call it what it is. It's not just a private moment. She's on her hands and knees, and she's praying to the Lord. I didn't realize that she was evidently very devout in her faith. So then, asked, so then after she won the U.S. Open, some of the people were asking, what were you saying? And this is what she said. I was just saying thank you. I love that. I was just saying thank you, God. I mean, we all have giants in our life, right? Things that we have overcome in life. I, I love... Uh, this quote from uh, Locato in his book, he says, fear brings bills you can't pay, grades you can't make, people you can't please, whiskey you can't resist, pornography you can't refuse, a career you can't escape, and a past you can't shake. That's pretty powerful. You know, I, I was th thought this was interesting about that last little comment, a past you can't shake. So evidently, a few years ago, when Pope Benedict XVI became a pope, there was a guy by the name of Rogers uh, Cadenhead. And Rogers came up with this brilliant idea that um, he would uh, capture these um, uh, domains on the internet. Um, and so people would actually, and if you really wanted that particular domain, you'd have to pay him to be able to have the right, because he had the right to it. So evidently when Pope Benedict became, before the, he became well, Pope, and once he became Pope, and they found out his name, guess what Roger said? He captured the domain for the Pope Benedict before the Vatican could get it. So the Vatican's got a problem because they need PopeBenedict16.com because the Pope's the Pope. So they went to Rogers and says, Rogers, by the way, he was a devout Catholic, he says, Rogers, we, we really need Pope Benedict's domain. Um, could you sell it to us? And so Rogers says, you know what, I, I, I won't sell it to you, but this is what I would like for the domain and I'll give it to you. This is the three things he requested from the Pope. Number one, um, can I have one of those little Pope hats? So can you put the Pope up? You know, can you put, so can I have one of those hats? So can I, can you, can the Pope get, maybe give me one of those? Number two was this, 
a free day at the Vatican Hotel. I didn't know that the Vatican had a hotel, but evidently they did. So can you give me a free vacation at the Vatican Hotel? And number three, I thought this was interesting. Complete absolution, no questions asked for the third week of March in 1987. <laughs> 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 uh, it just goes back to Lucato's quote. I passed, you just can't. Shake, right? So don't we all sometimes have to face our giants? So I know that Ellen last week, she in her message of David and Goliath, she shared with you all about bullies, I think, and she shared with that Back to the Future video. So let me show you my little video clip. This actually came from the, um, this is a little bit more biblical. And, um, and so this is the, about two minutes, and this is, um, once again, from the movie of uh, the Bible. I think it was about 12 years ago it came out. So this is the, from YouTube, uh, the David and Goliath story. Here we go. Yay! <laughs> you know, I love a story. That is a 3,000 year old story and we're still talking about today. It's an epic story, isn't it? It's so powerful. Love the idea that, you know, this little shepherd boy could take out the big guy. It's a classic underdog story. I love it. I think that's one of the reasons why we love this story is because we find ourselves pulling for the underdog. It's an amazing story. You know, I thought it was actually interesting. Um, I, I found this on the internet. I found this this last week. I didn't realize this, but um, where this all actually, uh, th there's a place in the Holy Land. It's actually ha happened. Um, and so we, I actually a couple of, can you show this picture? This is the valley where this actually happened in the Holy Land. Um, and then the, they, can you put that next slide up? And so this is, the, it's called the Valley of Elah. And you can see Bethlehem's off to the left. Then you have Saul's camp there. And then you got the place of the battle, like in between the Philistine camp off to the right-hand side. And, and so can you show this next picture? And so this, I thought this is interesting is that David eventually goes and builds a big camp there. He actually built builds a, a kind of a fortress, which shows later in his life his, um, his accomplishment and to be able to strategically um, show the world how powerful he really was. So he rises up from being this little shepherd, shepherd boy to the great ranks of being this great king. Yeah, I think that's really, it's such a powerful story, isn't it? I mean, and what I, what I think is really powerful when you put it in perspective when you have this comparison because you know once again Jesus comes from the line of David David becomes the greatest king ever so Je David's just kind of this just simple little shepherd boy you know he doesn't look like he's that much to him you could see it in the video and yet you know he rises up to become this great king um, and so what's interesting is that David as we know, and there's this great saying, um, Saul slew his thousands, and yet David slew the tens of thousands. He was even greater than Saul. That was the, kind of the point of that. But David was, well, he ends up being quite a, the militant king. He rises up being just a shepherd boy. But then, of course, we have Jesus, who ends up being a giant himself. Um, and I mean, what I mean by a giant is that not giant in stature, but becomes this great king of kings that is different from the David king. He is the lamb of God. And you have this kind of comparison when you look at what we have, the greatest king in the Old Testament, and then you got the greatest king in the 
New Testament, but they're two very different, unique kings. I, I love this story. I, I, think, I, I, I just think it's so powerful about the story. And when I think, when I look at this story, I think that there's always something that we can learn. I mean, you know, the first thing I noticed about that video is that um, there's actually three key characters in the story, right? You got um, Saul, who seems to be fearful. You got David, who is faithful. And you got Goliath, who was boastful. I just made that up. I thought that was pretty good, right? But that's true. I mean, he was so arrogant. You saw it in the video that, um, and the movie producers of Hollywood, they actually, when he looked at, you know, little shepherd boy David, he just took his helmet off, right? Which exposed his head. I thought it was also the interesting when Lucato, in, in Lucato's book, he said that maybe he didn't take his hat off, but he laughed so hard, it shifted his helmet and exposed his forehead. I never thought about that either. So you have this, this very powerful story. And, and so I think it's powerful is because when you look at the original part and you watch the videos, they were all laughing. You know, there's different parts of this story. They were laughing at David. Matter of fact, Saul, I just read because they said, you know, Saul, you know, he tried to put armor on David and David says, I can't do this in the armor. And, you know, he, he says, you know, I, and so Saul is trying to convince him, tried to help him. And he says, no, I can't do that. And he says, well, suit yourself. And, you know, it's everybody, I mean, even his own Ken, his, his, if you go back and read the story, his brothers actually said, what are you doing out here? His dad had sent him out to be able to go feed his brothers. And so he ends up in the middle of the story and he's just kind of an innocent bystander. And yet David is willing to take charge and everybody, it's almost like he's the laughing stock and the whole story. And yet he ends up becoming this hero in the story. So you got Saul who's afraid, who's fearful. You got David who's faithful and you got Goliath who's boastful. And what I think is really interesting about when you put this part of the story is that a lot of times when you look and you first walk on the scene is everybody that, well, all the people on the children of Israel side, they all thought they were dead ducks. You can't take a big boy. The only one who actually thought that he could was actually evidently, because Saul didn't think he'd do it. He didn't think he would actually had any chance of winning. And yet David's wanted to step up to the plate. And we all have to face our giants at different places in life. And you know, what's interesting is that we all have different giants. And so, for example, uh, what happens with me, and, um, and I'm just being transparent, is, you know, I've shared with you all, sometimes I end up waking up at 3.06 in the morning. I don't know why it's 3.06, but I just wake up. Does anybody else wake up at 3.06 besides me? And so what happens at 3.06, and I've shared this with you before, is that I have a tendency, my mind starts spinning, and I can't shut it off. And so sometimes I just, you know, I think and I try to pray and I kind of pray through it. And then sometimes I get fixated on something because I'm facing some kind of challenge in my life. And then all of a sudden I get a little fearful of it. And so let me tell you what happens with me and maybe it happens to you. By 336, I have made a mountain out of a mole. I mean, I made a, a mountain out of a molehill, right? I mean, all of a sudden I've, I've, I've made something so, actually so much small but then it, I make it so much bigger than it really should be, and then all of a sudden I become fearful of it. I've gone from something over here that's just kind of small, and then I made it this huge thing. And then it's everything, all of a sudden the world's coming to apart. And um, the sky's falling. I did that this morning on my run. I'm not running, do you know it was a beautiful morning? I know I saw a beautiful sunrise, I'm just kind of doing my little loop. My own business. There was nobody out this morning except me. But then I'm, I'm thinking, running through my head. And I had this thing in my head. And by the time I got to the end of my run, 
Everything is falling apart. And then I have to really kind of catch myself from time to time. And this is what the Lord said. Harold, when have I ever failed you? Well, I suppose never, Lord, but, no, don't but. (laughs) No, 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 there's any buts, Harold. Honestly, I did this this morning. So, does that ever happen to anybody else besides me? And so one of the things I love about this story is that the faith of David being able to take on the giant, it's, and yet you have David on this side and you got the Saul and all his armies, his army over here, and they all thought they were dead ducks because they had already come to the conclusion that they had no chance and they were all gonna fail. The world's coming in, they're all gonna die. You know, one of the things that I learned this last week in my preparation for the sermon, I think that one of David's greatest strengths, and, and someone pointed out this out in my reading, is that um, it's not his strength as in like big and muscles, you know? It, he wasn't this big, strong, strapping. I mean, the Bible says, you know, he was just a shepherd boy when he started out, and he was handsome, but it didn't say how big he was. I think his true strength is wisdom. He had that on his side. And so sometimes in our lives, we can take what God's given to us and we use that. Um, Maybe wisdom is a really good thing for us to be able to use that God's given to us to be able to overcome our fears. I I love the idea about how people, I think these people are, they end up being giants of what I would call in their own rank of leadership. Like, I mean, Gandhi. Um, or Martin Luther King, or I think about Nelson Mandela, or Diedrich Bonhoeffer. I mean, these people were giants of leadership in their faith, and they were willing to take on these huge monumental things in life. But none of them were real strong, big, strapping people. They were just simple people. I saw I think it's interesting about this story is that um, it's just like this thing that happens to me at 3.06 in the morning on my run. Sometimes we realize that what I call our fear, our fears taunt us. And the reason why I bring that up, do you realize, and once again, this connects to the story, I don't miss the detail. So what does Goliath do for 40 days? Go back and read the story. For 40 days, twice a day, he comes out and he is taunting, he is daring the children of Israel to take him on, taunting them, laughing at them, bring it on. And I think that sometimes that happens in our life too. Sometimes these fears that we have, these obstacles that we have, these great big huge giants that we have in our lives, they can continue to, to taunt us. I, I think also it's really interesting we look at this story about um, you know Saul is fearful, David is faithful, uh, Goliath is boastful. And you know what I started thinking about in my life and my own personal experience, and chances are maybe you experience in your own life, is a lot of times the people who are most arrogant in life or the most boastful in life, they are hiding behind their own insecurities. It's just a facade. It's a bravado. It's just kind of a smokescreen of hiding their own insecurities in their life. But I have also found 
there are the people in my life and being in the ministry for 35 years and I've had these wonderful people that God's put in my life and I would call them these kind of spiritual giants and they are the most humble and meek people I've ever met. And they don't seem to be hiding behind anything. They're just real people. So I was thinking about this this last week about giants, but really they're not giants, but they are giants. So I was thinking about this person. Can you put that picture of Mother Teresa? She was a giant. She was a giant. I, I, I was thinking about, um, you know, one day she, uh, I, I, uh, President um, invited her to come and speak at um, the, the presidential luncheon. So they flew her into Washington. She, she walks in with her, you know, her, her little, little gown and she's kind of humped over. And she walks up to the microphone. You know where her opening line was? I think it was her opening line for her presidential speech. She says, you know, the greatest sin in life is the destruction of unborn children. She's talking about abortion. You could hear a pin drop. Because you got the Republicans and you got the Democrats and you got everybody has maybe that you have these different perspectives on that hot topic. She didn't care. She didn't care. How could, how could she get away with that? Because she had the boldness to take on poverty and the poorest of the poor. And she, nothing was going to stop her from doing that. And she earned the respect of the world. Now that lady was a giant. So you can be fearful. You can be faithful. You can be boastful. By the way, I looked it up. Do you know how tall Mother Teresa was? I'll just share with you all. You ready? Share with this before. She is about that tall. Now, don't freak out on me. Don't tell my wife. How tall is uh, Goliath? I can't even go that tall. Nine feet. Nine feet. There's a giant. But yet, Mother Teresa is only five feet. Oh, you know what else I did this week? I looked at him and said, you know what? How tall was Mother Mary? You ever asked that question? I did. Looked it up. About four foot six. Typical women, first century. Yeah, matter of fact, there is some ancient writing that referred to, I think, three cubits, which would be about four foot six inches tall. She was a giant. She had nothing to hide. I mean, she, you know, Jesus, God comes to her, the angel of the Lord says, hey, Mary, you're the chosen one. I am? Yep, you're going to bring in the Savior of the world. That's a pretty daunting task. Four foot six. Then, you know, just because I'm Harold. <laughs> how tall was Jesus? Great question. About five foot five. 
because typical men back then, and you think that, you know, Jesus would have probably been just kind of average height. That's what genuinely men were about five foot five. And yet he was a giant. Uh, well, how we know that is this, is because um, I think this, I never knew this, but I never thought about this. When Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss, if you go back and think it's in Gospel of Mark, he, he, they said, well, basically, how will we know which one's Jesus? And he says, well, the one that I go and kiss, they'll, you'll know who, um, who he is. In other words, if you look at that story, is that G, the, he, Judas didn't say, oh, by the way, he's the one who's six foot two. He had to point Jesus out, which meant that if all the guys from Galilee were all about the same height, about five foot five, then Jesus would have been about the same height. Makes sense, doesn't it? And yet Jesus was giant. I, I place my faith, I mean all my faith, in Jesus who was a gentle giant. Behold the Lamb of God who come to take away the sins of the world. Saul, well, he slew his thousands, but David slew his tens of thousands. Wow, amazing. So I, I, I close with this. You know, I, I'm gonna share with you five little things before we close today. Five little tidbits of information about life. And um, here are my five little, and yeah, by the way, I have these little stones up here, my, these people given to me. I, and I, I, I want you to know something. Uh, I think um, last week, uh, Ellen talked about five different perspectives about what these stones represent. So let me just share with you all real quick. Why, I'm asking this, why did David pick up five stones? By the way, the stones are smooth because they would fly through the air. They're more aerodynamic. Why would da David pick up five stones? stones and the reason why I learned theologically is because evidently Goliath tradition says that um, you find a little bit of information later in the in the Old Testament that he had four big he had four brothers so he needed five stones one for each just a thought so here are the five little thoughts we can focus on defeat or we can focus on opportunity I think that's important because I, I just, you know, it's interesting. I had a, I mentioned Grief Share just a few minutes ago. I had a really wonderful conversation with a really good friend of mine who's involved with Grief Share. And um, when her husband died, um, when I first came here, um, she was devastated. And yet she could have curled up in a ball and been completely defeated. But she took that tragedy and turned it into something very positive. And now she just continues to work with people who are dealing with grief in their life and using that because she's gone through something and now they're going through it and because she's gone through it, she has a deeper connection with other people. I love that. So we can focus on defeat or we can focus on opportunity. Number two is we can stick to what we know or listen to all the noise. Because let me tell you something, there's always a naysayer out there. Can I be on that? I, I thought, you know, this is a classic illustration. You know, when... Uh, uh, some of my friends came to me and says, Pastor, hey, Harold, we really want to buy this building and we want to build this thing. We're going to call it Bargains and Blessings. And they took me down there and saw the building. I'm thinking, we're going to buy this dump? Really? What? Oh, yeah. And then other people, when we finally got it all, started getting it all together. And so I had some people come to me, well, this isn't going to work. This is going to be a train wreck, blah, 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 blah. And you know what? They were wrong. We didn't listen to the naysayers. 
so we can stick to what we know or listen to the noise. Number three is this, I think this is like, we can depend merely on our strength or we can draw upon God's power. And, and so I love about what, the, the detail in this. When David is, when David shows up, everybody else is talking about the, the giant. The only person that starts talking about God is David. Matter of fact, Locato points this out, it's like a nine to two ratio. So there, there are two different references that when, they were, when David's having the conversation with Saul, there was two comments about the Goliath, but then the rest of the time, David is talking about defeating the giant because he has a faith in God. So nobody else is talking about God until David shows up. I love that. Number four is you can utilize past victories or we can be crippled by future fear which is exactly what I was doing this morning on my run. So I, once again, here I'll have, have I ever failed you? No, Lord, you haven't, but, no but. And number five is this, giants can provoke prayer. We can focus on giants or petition to God in our prayer. I don't like that. So I close with this little quote or this little piece of scripture, this little nugget this morning from Lakato's book. He's talking about, once again, you have the story, but with the story. So David has slayed the Goliath. He saw, and we'll get into this in the next week or two, that, you know, Saul gets very jealous of David. Uh, Saul wants to kill David. David's on the run, and he ends up like in caves and hiding out. And so we find this little nugget here. This is David reflecting upon um, in a psalm about being on the run, being a fugitive. Um, psalm 57. Be good to me, God. And now I've run you for I'm run for you for dear life. I'm hiding uh, out under your wings until the hurricane blows over. I, I'll I'll call out to high God, the God that holds me together. I love that. Don't we all need a God that can hold us together? We all need a God to hold us together. So I showed you a picture of my little grandson at the very beginning of this service. You know, um, God knitted him together in my little, my daughter's womb. Just like God knitted you together in your mother's womb. And then we come into the world. Sometimes kicking and screaming. Ah! Right? <laughs> but someday my little grandson's gonna wake up and he's gonna realize that he's Jesus Christ to hold him, help him hold it all together just like his grandpappy need to be reminded of that at the age of 60 when he's running his little loop this morning watching the sun come up. Harold, when's the last time I really failed you? Well, never have, Lord, but no buts.